Well, good morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Matt, Brother Matt, Mr. Matt, according to the bulletin, Reverend Matt. It's always confusing for our sixth graders as they come across. They want to call me Mr. Matt out of respect, and our high schoolers are like, it's Matt. And uh, I usually say, you're welcome to call me Matt, but um, if your parents make you say Mr. Matt out of respect, then uh, it's Mr. Matt. Um, so anyway, I am a student pastor here. I have uh, been student pastor for a little over seven years. And um, as I was preparing and uh, praying about what God wanted me to share this morning, um, we've been talking about riot across the street with our students. And I realized that probably 90% of our church doesn't know what riot means, why we riot. And it would be good to share that with the congregation. Um, most of you probably know that riot is what we call our Wednesday night student service. And so you probably know what a student service typically looks like. And, and that's similar. But the meaning behind riot, why we riot, what, what, what does it mean, I think is not only beneficial for our students to understand that, but it's beneficial for the whole uh, church because it can be challenging to you as well. Um, this was confirmed this week when uh, I was talking to the pastors and I had to inform them what riot meant. Um, <laughs> that I'm sure 90% of the people in the room are not going to know what riot means. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning is what riot means, why we riot, and what that can mean for the whole body of Christ. And so riot, if we go to Webster's and we'll start there, is a violent disturbance of the peace by a crowd. And I know what you're thinking. That's the most youth pastor thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> They're over there tearing stuff up, breaking stuff, and that is not true most of the time. It's definitely not encouraged. And obviously, that's not what we're teaching our kids to do. So let's get a little deeper into the meaning of why people riot. Why people riot. And I believe that people riot because things get so bad that it takes an extreme action in order to make a change. And so that's what I'm encouraging our kids is we don't want to riot to help make a change in a culture that is bad. And so people riot to make a change. And I don't really want to get in the politics of the day with what all's going on um, over the last couple years, but we in Birmingham are well aware of rioting. If we go back to the civil rights in the 50s and 60s, like we were a hub for that kind of stuff. In fact, the riot of 1963 here in Birmingham was a pretty big deal that you still hear about. And some of you are much more aware of that than I am. Because you like history. <laughs> but it was part of our history and it's part of the civil rights movement. And, and it was part of what people did in order to make extreme actions to change what was happening in society. Because people, the way we were treating people was not right. And so riots and, and different demonstrations happened in order to cause change. And in fact, just less than a year later, in 1964, we had the civil rights Act of 1964, which gave uh, equal job opportunity to everyone. Uh, you could not discriminate based on race or gender. And I know that wasn't a magical formula that fixed everything, but it was a step in the right direction. And so these extreme acts make a difference. And so we want to riot. We want to riot for God because I believe that if we look at the world we're in, the society that we're in, the country that we're in, that things are bad. Things are getting bad and we need a change. And I believe that we as Christians are the only people that can make the change, the only people that can make the difference that we want to see. And so things are bad. 
I'll show some, I'll give you some statistics. First of all, um, as of 2015, believe it or not, 75% of Americans said they would identify as Christian. Seemed a little high, but the 2020 census came out just five years later, and only 65% of Americans identified as Christian. And so the decline of just identifying as Christian of 10% over the course of five years. Um, but let's be honest, like, 65% of America is not living a Christian life, right? We can look around and we can see that. And so maybe um, some statistics about church attendance might help us see the condition of our country. So if you look at church attendance on any given Sunday, you're looking at about 33% of our country attending church. So very quickly we go from 65%, cut that in half, and only 33% are attending church on a regular basis. Now, I'll give you a little small pat on the back because here in the Bible Belt, we do 10% better than that. We're at 43%, uh, which means there's parts of the country that's worse than 33%. But still, 43% is not where we want to be. We want to be a society that is embracing Christ and, and that we are making a difference in our world because we are the most Christian country in the world. And so 33% are attending church. Now, Let's still be more realistic here. 33% of people that are sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning are not necessarily following Christ, right? They're not sold out for Christ, doing whatever God has told uh, them to do with their life and their resources and raising their families that way and all the things. They're just, some of that percentage is just attending church. And so I'm not going to take a guess at what that number is, but we can all agree that less than 30% of our country is actually following Christ, so we don't want to see that. We want an extreme act. We want to cause a riot. We want to do something to turn that number back the other direction. If we take the religion out of it and just look at the morality of our country, the morality is on the decline as well. This is evident in our media and our social media in what we see and what we accept. If you look at the TV, mainstream media social media, all the things, the language that we are subject to, the lifestyles, the homosexuality, all the things that is pushed out there that we as a society accept, that if 65% of us were really living a Christian life, we would not accept because the Bible tells us that it's sin against God. But we as a society are saying it's okay to consume that through media and TV. It's also we accept those things in our work, in our environments that we're around, even in our families. And so the morality of this country is on the decline. We look and, and um, we know that in the business world that it's almost acceptable now for you to lie and cheat and steal your way to the top. I mean, this is the people that make it to the top and people go, man, they really worked hard. They put in the time, the effort. And if you really look at what they did, maybe it's some things that we wouldn't agree with, but that's just kind of the business world. That's how you get ahead. And we praise that in this society as hard work. Our teenage culture is on the decline as well. I had an 11th grader a couple years ago make the statement that every guy I know vapes, and is addicted to pornography. Now I pray, and I don't believe that to be totally true, that's not um, research-based, it's just one girl's opinion, but it is a snapshot of what they're dealing with in our public schools and in our high schools as she looks at and says, every guy I know is vaping and addicted to pornography. 
Now, I could go on and on and on about the decline of our society and how bad it is, but we would all be depressed and not have a good holiday. So I'm going to stop there and just assume that I don't have to. Like, you know, you live it. You know what's around you. You see it, you experience, and you know that things are not good and that we need a riot. We need an extreme action. We need something to change it. And so we want to riot for God. So how do we do that? Well, let's go to God's Word. And if you will, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And when you find your place, if you will stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading verses 6 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You can be seated. So these are words that Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, Timothy, of course, spent time with Paul on all of his missionary journeys. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. And by this time, um, Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to minister there. And he had been the pastor in Ephesus for about four years. So Paul is writing this letter from prison to encourage Timothy, to encourage him to stand firm on the beliefs that he has and what he has been taught, even though society is declining, even though they are starting to persecute Christians, even though it's going to get tough. So the encouragement that Paul gives Timothy back then, I think is some encouragement that we can take today. And so in this opening paragraph, I find three things that we need to do in order to start a riot for God. If you start in verse 6, it starts with, for this reason. For this reason refers back to the previous verses where Paul says, I have seen the Spirit of God in your mom, in your grandmother, and I've seen the Spirit of God in you as well. And so because I've seen the Spirit of God in you, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God. So he's reminding him to use the gifts that is given him. He goes on to say that the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And so these are the things that we tap into as believers. We pack it, uh, tap into the power, the love, and the self-discipline that we can find through the Holy Spirit, and we act not timid. So the first thing that I think that we can take from this is that we need to stand up. We need to stand up, and we need to stand up for what is right. In a world that is declining and falling away from the beliefs of this word, we need to stand up for what is right. So, young person, that is when you're in the locker room and the conversations are about what happened over the weekend or inappropriate jokes or whatever. We are bold. We are not timid, but we are bold in the power of God, and we stand up and we walk away. We do not participate in that conversation. We do not participate in that inappropriateness because we're bold 
for Jesus because he gives us power through his spirit. Adults, it's no different. It's just maybe not in a locker room. It's around the water cooler. It's around the break room. It's in our lives, in and around us, in our social circles that inappropriate stuff happens. And many times we choose to just fit in. But the Bible tells us that we are not to be timid. Instead, we tap into the power, get up, walk away, and do not subject ourselves to that kind of behavior. This is, young person, the opportunity to cheat on assignment as everything has gone virtual and on the computers now, it makes it much easier to to be cheating and everybody is doing it. And so you feel like you need to do it just to keep up with everybody else. But God has called us to be different, to be righteous, to be holy. And so we choose that to stand up for what is right instead of what everybody else is doing. Adults, this is no different in your job. You know exactly the areas where you can cut corners, where you can take it, take it easy. Instead, God has called us to do our best in everything that we do as witness for him. And so we don't do what everybody else is doing. We stand up for morality. We stand up for what is right. We stand up for what God has taught us to do. This is us standing up for those that can't stand up for themselves, for those who don't have a voice in society, for those who need help, that we stand up and we are there for them and we support them. And so God is calling us to stand up for others. This is us being faithful to our word. When you say something, you do it. When you say something, you mean it. And when we do that, we add to our Christian witness. We make it so that people see Christ in us and we can make a difference in this world when we stand up. God. Continuing on to verse 8, it says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. Do not be ashamed to share the testimony of what God has done in your life. Do not be ashamed to share the testimony of Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And so we, number two, speak out. First, we stand up. We stand up for what is right. But next, we have to open our mouth and speak out. Speak out truth in a world that is embracing lies. Speak out truth in a world that is okay with, the tr- with lies. And we speak against what's being said because we know the truth. And the truth is Jesus. And so we are not fearful to speak the name of Jesus into the situations that come into our daily life, whether it be at work, at home, in a family. It doesn't matter. We speak truth. We speak Jesus no matter what's going on. So first, we need to stand up. And second, we need to speak out. Paul goes on to say in verse 9 that he has saved us and called us to a holy life. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. He's called us to speak, stand up and speak out. Why? Continue on. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose. We're called to do these things because of his purpose. Number three, we need to live on mission for God. Live on mission for God. This is a person that understands that everything we do, everything is for his purpose. It's a person that understands that we get ourself out of the way, our selfishness out of the way, and we live for him. This is the person that goes to school, and they see the school as their mission field. This is the person that goes to work, and they see their work as the mission field. The co-workers as the mission. Your friends, your family, that's the mission that needs to receive the love of Christ, that needs to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you see everything you do as mission 
for God. And so what Paul is telling Timothy here, in a declining world, we need to stand up, speak out, and live our life on mission for God. And that's how we're going to make a difference. So I tell you the same thing this morning. In a declining world, we need to stand up, speak out, and live our lives on mission for God. And that's how we're going to make a difference. That's how we're going to riot for God. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, that doesn't sound like a riot. We're in the church house. We have a bunch of believers here. And you're telling us to stand up, speak out, and live on mission for God. Aren't we all doing that? I would argue that we're not. I would argue that we're not and that that would be extreme. We're used to seeing God perform some pretty extreme, pretty crazy stuff. If we read through the Bible, people turned from God back in Sodom and Gomorrah and God destroyed those cities to prove his righteousness. We see that Jonah runs from God and God sends a well to gobble him up so that he will get back on track. We see that Paul is persecuting Christians, even killing Christians, and God sends the light and blinds him on the Damascus road in order to turn him back and use him for his kingdom and for his glory. We have the amazing story of Elijah on Mount Carmel where the people of God, all of them, have turned away from God. They have been worshiping their bells and worshiping their idols. They're even killing prophets of God, but God spared Elijah. He sent him up to do battle on Mount Carmel where God sent fire from heaven. It consumed the altar. It consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the water that was poured on it. And a big sign to take a nation to turn them back to God. And I would love to see the miraculous sign like this take place in our country today. But I would argue that we have a role in this, that what Paul is telling Timothy is extreme. Because in his society, when facing persecution, if someone were to stand up, speak out, and be on mission for God, they were risking persecution in their life. And today, it would be extreme too. If we were to find people that were truly standing up for what is right, speaking truth and speaking out against what is wrong, and living our lives on mission for God, it would be extreme because you would stand out. You wouldn't fit in, which is a very important thing for all of us in our society, is we don't want to be different. We don't want to be called out. We just want to be a part of the crowd. But if you were able to do this and say, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to speak out, and I'm going to live my entire life on mission for God, it would be extreme in this world today. So I go on, if if I'm challenging you to start a riot, if I'm challenging you to um, stand up, speak out, and, and live your life on mission for God, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we prepare? I'm asking you to live your life on mission. If I was asking you to go on a mission trip, there would be lots of preparation that would go into that. I would, I would contact the people where we're going on mission trip. I would make sure that we have a place to stay, that we'd have transportation, we're going to be able to eat. We have ministry supplies and partners, and we know exactly what we're going to do. Then we'd bring you in, and we would train you and prepare you and get you ready to go and do the job on the mission trip. And then once all that has happened and we've practiced and we've prepared, then we would get on our buses and go do the mission trip. So there's no difference. When I look at teenagers and I look at you and say let's go start a riot how are we going to do it well many of you may not know riot is an acrostic it stands for reaching in and out together so this is how we're going to do it 
But first, we're going to reach in. We're going to reach in. That's connecting with people in the walls of the church, connecting with other believers here and building relationships here so that we have a solid foundation and a solid base to do the mission that God has called us to. This is us coming together and caring for one another, caring for one another. When somebody has a need, we meet that need. When somebody is hurting, we love on those people. When somebody needs family, we are their family. This is the whole carrying each other's burdens concept in the Bible that we come together and we do as we reach in, preparing for step two, which is reaching out. Reaching in and out together. Out is all about evangelism. It's all about the people outside these walls, how we live our lives around the lost, how we share our faith with other people, how we share our story and we share Jesus. It's reaching out And this is everyone's job. When we look at Matthew 28 and it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is a command to all of us. It's not a command just to me or pastors or missionaries. It is a command to every single believer to go make disciples. And so we must reach out. So the battle plan is we start by reaching in, connecting with each other's helping each other out, encouraging each other, preparing each other, the whole iron sharpens iron things that happens in here so that we can go out and be witness and share the love of Christ with a world that is declining. Third, reaching in and out together. Together. That's why we're a body of Christ. That's why we need each other. That's why God has called each and every one of us to be a part of this faith family is because we do it together. And this is where I believe that we go back to the riot. Because if one person today goes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start living my life just like he talked about. To stand up, to speak out, and to live my life on mission for God. It can make a ripple effect. But what if our entire church got on board and said, we're all going to do it. We're all going to stand up. We're all going to speak out. We're all going to live our lives on mission for God. Then we go out and we start a riot, and that's extreme in order to make a change in our community. It takes all of us working together to reach in and reach out to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I challenged our students a couple weeks ago with what kind of youth group do we want to be? And so I challenge you today, what kind of church do we want to be? I offered two options. The first one is a cruise ship. We could be a cruise ship church. This is a church that has a lot of fun. That when people come in, we are super excited about, are they going to like the music that we do? Are they going to enjoy the service? Is the service going to be the very best so they can take that with them? When people come to this kind of church, they ask, what can I get out of it? What's on the buffet? What do I want out of this church? And when they leave, they say, was that good enough? Do I want to cruise with them again? And while I'm not saying that we don't want to have fun because I am the youth pastor, and while I'm not saying that we don't want to have good music and good service, What I'm saying is that is not the purpose of why we exist. And so we want to be the second option, a battleship church, a battleship youth group that has two very clear things. First, we have a clear mission, 
A battleship has its orders, its mission, and it is moving forward to accomplish that mission. As a church, we need to have a clear mission that we can all get behind, making disciples for global impact. That's a mission we can get behind. That's a mission that we have been given in this church to make disciples for global impact. So as a battleship church, we have a mission that we can get behind and we move forward. Second, the battleship trains its crew. The crew members are trained. They're equipped so that we will have successful mission. That's what we do, whether it be in a small group, a D group, a Sunday school class, even here in worship service. It's all about training and equipping the crew members of this battleship to go and be successful. And so we want to be that battleship because when we get behind a mission and when we're trained for success, we make a difference in our community. And so... I asked our students, I said, will you stand up? Will you stand up and sign up to be a part of the battleship? There's a dry erase board across the street in the annex where they literally signed up to be on the First Baptist Pelham Student Ministry Battleship to go and do battle for God. And so the youth pastor and me can't help. Are you willing to be a part of the battleship? I don't have a dry erase board here. But if you would be willing to be on this battleship called First Baptist Church Pelham to get behind the mission of making disciples for global impact, which sounds a lot like reaching in and out together, would you just raise your hand? Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the people just now that raised their hand that said, yes, sign me up for that. Allow me to be a part of that mission, that mission that you have ordained for this church to make disciples for global impact. Help each and every one of us to be true to that commitment, God, that we would each stand up for what is right, speak out for the truth and live our lives on missions so that we as a church, we as a congregation can make a difference for you in this community. God, by your spirit, help us make a difference in this community. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.